Our New Testament scripture this morning is found in the book of Matthew. I'm sorry, the gospel reading. Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 and following. That's on page 21 in your New Testament. Matthew chapter 19, beginning of verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but for God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So anybody else like to watch Shark Tank TV show? A few of you? I really like that show. And I kind of like shows that are like that. They're kind of entrepreneurial. Um, so what happens in Shark Tank is these young entrepreneurs, well, they're not always young, um, starting off entrepreneurs who are starting new businesses, they come in and they pitch their, their little business to these sharks who are bazillionaires. And these very wealthy sharks decide whether or not they want to invest in this company and then take a percentage of the cut. And they have to decide whether or not they would make money in this venture. And these people come in, and I like to watch it because Frankly, some of the ideas are great, and I end up going to the website to order their product because I think, gosh, this is really cool. I really want one of this, these things. Um, but it's just kind of interesting how they talk to the people and kind of find out about their stories and why, they do, why they're doing what they're doing and, and um, what got them started and what got them motivated. And sometimes it's because people had a problem or an issue at home, and they said, well, this needs to get fixed. And when I go to Home Depot, they don't have the product that I need to fix it. So I'm going to create this product and then start selling it. Um, one of the questions they ask these entrepreneurs is, what have you put into it? What have you invested in it? And sometimes you hear these people, I, I sold my house, I sold my business, I quit my job, I put 100% into it. That gets the sharks a little more excited because they feel like these people are really invested in what's going on and invested in, in this venture. And they feel like, okay, if you're, not, if you're taking it seriously, then I can take you seriously. Um, I just find it a fascinating show. It's got interesting ideas and, and I like the marketing business side of things too. Um, so this, remember we're in a series um, talking about transformational churches in changing times. Transforming churches in changing times. And so what does that look like? What's a transforming church look like? And, 
We talked about the fact that that means individuals are being transformed. We talked about the fact that the church itself is being transformed and that the church is working in the community to transform the community. And we talked about what those healthy characteristics of transforming churches are. Who remembers one? What? Play. So last week we talked about play, right? Um, and having fun. And usually one of the characteristics of a healthy, growing church, and this is healthy, growing churches in situations like ours, not the suburban churches that have lots of money and they come and they have great shows and everything, but urban center churches that are struggling and they start doing things that begin. So one of those characteristics is play. Another one? Curiosity, good. So curiosity, hey, what's going on? What's happening around us? What's happening in the lives of people around us? Being curious about that. Anybody remember the other one? Yeah, honest self-assessment. Being able to look at yourself and say, hey, what's working? What's not working? Why do we keep doing this if it keeps going wrong on us? Um, or nobody shows up or whatever. So asking those honest questions. So today, our fourth in the series, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. What does it mean to be an entrepreneur in, as a church? An entrepreneur, let me give you the dictionary definition of an entrepreneur. One who organizes, manages, and assumes the risk of a business or enterprise. So when you talk in terms of the church, it means what kind of risks are we taking? Oh, but Pastor Vance, I don't want to take risks. I come to church to feel comfortable and to feel at peace and to be fed and to walk out thinking, oh, I feel much better about myself and about the world. What are you talking about risk-taking? Risk-taking is kind of scary because risks basically means you might get what you're hoping for and you might not. Uh, you might find pleasure in the outcome and you might find pain in the outcome. That's a risk. I don't like that. But the Bible is full of risk takers. In fact, all of the patriarchs were risk takers. Abraham left his home and uh, started wandering around and that was a risk that he took. Moses confronted Pharaoh. Can you imagine if God said, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh and Moses said, uh, I don't wanna do that. And I'm pretty sure he did say that actually. <laughs> I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna go and talk to Pharaoh. That's a big risk. Um, Joshua entering the promised land. That was a huge risk. There was much bigger armies in the promised land than his army. David facing Goliath. You talk about a risk? Here's this little teenage kid showing up with this giant Goliath and he's going to take him on with a stone, you know? That's a huge risk. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is kind of hidden away is uh, Jonathan at Michmash. How many of you know that story? So the Philistines had come in, they'd taken over the, the um, country, Saul was king, it was before David, right? Saul is king, and the Philistines have come in, and Saul is fighting these people, the Philistines, and trying to drive them out of the land, and they'd set up their camp, their army camp, and Jonathan is the son of Saul. He's the heir apparent to the kingdom, and he's also David's best friend, but that's not really part of the story. And what happens is they have the... Uh, the Philistine army has this garrison up on this mountaintop that was kind of a key place. 
And Jonathan says to his shield bearer, hey, let's go and check him out up there. And his shield bearer says, okay, whatever you say, I'm good with it. So these two guys go up and they start checking out this garrison, this outpost, and they see 25 Philistines. And Jonathan says, I tell you what, let's call out to them and see what happens. If they start chasing us, we're out of here. But if they call us up, then that means that God has given them to us. And so we're going to go and attack them. So we, they said, hey, Philistines. And the Philistine army's uh, soldiers say, oh, look, look what's coming out of the holes of Israel. These little Israelites, hey, come on up here. Let us teach you a lesson. Jonathan looks at his shield bearer and goes, let's go. Two guys against 25 wiped them out. Started the whole battle, and all of a sudden the Israelite army sees what's happening with the Philistine army. The Philistines are in disarray. They start attacking each other. Booyah. <laughs> Jonathan was a risk taker. I love that. Now imagine if he said, you know, I have this idea to do this, but I think the risk is too big, so we shouldn't do it. And Israel would be speaking Philistine to this day. Um, the disciples, of course, right from the start, they're risk takers. As Jesus says to Peter, you've left everything for me. <laughs> I love that about Peter. See, that, that whole story about the rich man, and um, uh, that was, no, not about Lazarus, but the rich, uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus says, get rid of everything and follow after me. You know, sing yielding, give it all up, come follow me. And the rich young ruler says, well, I can't, I have too much. And that's why Jesus said, uh, it's so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And don't you love Peter's response? We left everything for you, Jesus. Look at us, aren't we great? You know, the rich young ruler, he's a loser, but we're, you know. Um, and of course, Jesus was kind to him and says, yes, you'll, you'll sit on thrones in the kingdom of heaven. But um, I just love that response. Look, we have left everything. For, see what we have sacrificed to see, what we've put on the line. See how we've invested in you, Jesus. Um, the disciples were risk takers. And we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to be risk takers. Um, and Jesus responds by saying, everyone who has left homes, families, businesses for my sake will receive a hundredfold. Ultimately, Jesus is the greatest risk taker. He's the ultimate risk taker. He had it pretty good. He lived in heaven. He was on a throne in heaven. He was surrounded by angels. No conflict whatsoever. He's got it made. But what did he do? He took the greatest risk of all, left, came to this earth. Why? Because he wanted to invest in the people of this world. Have you thought about that? that Jesus Christ came to invest in us? In fact, he puts a deposit in us when the Holy Spirit is given to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The author of Hebrews says, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy set before him, he saw the outcome, endured what? The cross disregarding its shame. He endured the shame of the cross and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Jesus put everything on the line. He put his own life on the line. And what was his business adventure, or his business venture? It was you, and it was me. He invested his life in us. So how are the dividends paying off? The church is not meant to be insulated. We're not meant to sit here and say, okay, let's take care of ourselves and pat each other on the back. As I've said before, the gospel is not meant to build the church. The church is meant to spread the gospel. When I first got here, I got talking to one of the members, John Griffin, many of you know him, and he made this comment, and I really appreciated this comment. He said, when, before you got here, Lance, I felt like our church had circled the wagons, and we were just kind of circled up and protecting ourselves. But now that you're here, I feel like we've broken camp, and we're starting to move forward. That's a good thing. That's what we should be doing. We should be moving forward. We should be moving into adventures. How are we, as a church, investing in the lives of people? How are we investing in ministries that transform? A healthy church is an entrepreneurial church, one that invests in people and ministries to further the kingdom of God. David Morales was the music minister up at a fairly large church in the Bay Area, and the church had decided to start investing in the lives of some interns. And so they said, hey, David, we want you to get a music intern. And so he, invest, or he started to interview people. He interviewed this young woman and he was set to go. She was awesome, she was well-educated, she loved children. He said, we're gonna get a great children's director. And he got a call from a small college and said, hey, we got a person you should check out. So he said, okay, I'll interview him. So he came down and interviewed this young guy. Um, and he's, <laughs> the guy walked in, he's wearing a three-piece wool suit. And David looked at him and said, aren't you hot? It's 100 degrees outside. The guy's like, well, I'm trying to <laughs> put on my best suit for you. Um, they talked for a while, and at the end of the conversation, David got into his car, started driving up, and said, this is the guy. We're going to go with him. We've never had a youth choir at our church. Our church has been around for 60-plus years. We're going to start a youth choir with this guy. Started with 12 kids. After two years, they were up to 60. A lot of those kids went on to be highly involved in churches. Some of them are ministers. And that young guy was me. David Morales interviewed me in a three-piece wool suit, sweating like you would not believe on that day. He was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. He already had a job. Um, but I thank God that David took the chance on me. It was a risk. Um, I never directed youth choirs before. I'd sung in them, but I never directed them. And uh, for me to go in there and start doing youth choirs was great. And that youth choir is actually still going to this day. It's one of the cornerstone ministries of that church in Berkeley, California. The investment paid dividends in the kingdom and now, uh, now this is not a business adventure. It's not about money. Our capital is transformed lives. And so when we invest in people, we invest in their lives. So the challenge I want 
for us as a church is to consider how we're investing in the lives of people. I think our La Samia program is a wonderful way that we're investing in the lives of young people. Um, I watched a video, I'll probably show it um, later at some point, but it's this great video of a group of young people all standing at the line, end line of a um, football field. And the guy says, okay, now we're gonna run from there to the other end of the football field and whoever gets there first is gonna get a $100 bill. But first, we're gonna do a couple things. Everyone who has um, raised, or everyone whose parents are both still married, take two steps forward. If not, stay there. Everyone who has a father figure in your house, to take two steps forward. Half the people moved forward, some people stayed back. Everybody who uh, has grown up with two cars in your house, take a step forward. Some people came forward, some people didn't. Everyone who had a tutor in school, step forward. And just over and over again until there was a group of people on the, on the baseline at the very end of the field, hadn't taken any steps forward. Other people that had taken steps forward with every single question. And his point was, this is what privilege is about. Some of us have experienced things in our lives that have allowed us to get a step forward. And so he said, now, when I say ready, set, go, who do you think is going to win? Those people on the back line could probably beat half of y'all that are up here, but you're halfway up the field. So you have a head start. And that's why I appreciate our programs like La Samia, because we're investing in the lives of kids that don't have that jump start, that don't have an opportunity, that don't get free tutors, but now they do, because they get them here. And those are the sorts of risks that we want to take here. Those are the sorts of investments we want to make in the lives of people, so that they have an opportunity and that we're building the kingdom. <laughs> it's not about a business, it's about investing in the lives of people. So in a bit, you'll see in the bulletin, there's a point where you will have an opportunity to share a story of when somebody invested in your life, like I shared about David investing in mine and taking a chance with me. So we'll have an opportunity to do that. Ask yourself, who has invested in my life? Who has taken a risk on me to help me to be in the place where I am today? And then ask yourself, who can I invest in? Where can I reach out and take a risk with somebody in their lives? Amen?